This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Are you at Jonah 4 yet? Or do I need to delay longer? Um, before I read Jonah 4, and we're going to sit a little bit uh, while we read through this, I want to give you a setup, okay? Uh, first of all, I want to set it up by saying this. We'll struggle reading Jonah for this reason. In every story, and I put the word I because this may not be you, but in every story, I want to be the star of that story. I remember when I was a, a young kid, I was trying out for plays and musicals and all these kinds of things, and I, I, I went and tried out for a play. I really wanted to be the star. I don't know why anybody would, would try out for a play. They didn't want to be the star. That just doesn't resonate for me. So I got, I tried out. I think I slayed it. I think I killed it, matter of fact. And I got a part in the play, but it was Townsman number two. It was not, it was not the star role. Um, it was Townsman number two. I wasn't even good enough to be Townsman number one. Um, and so I don't know what happened, but I was frustrated. I went home and vented to my father. I said, Dad, you know, they don't see my potential. You know, uh, they don't see the greatness that is in me, expecting that my father would have my back on this. He said, you know what? You're going to take the role that you've been given, and you're going to be in this play, and you're going to... You're going to do it well with all of your heart. And it was hard for me to accept the reality that, that I was not the star. I wasn't the point. I wasn't the, the, the light. And so if ever I watch a movie, I will say this. I put myself in the star character, right? When I watch Karate Kid, I'm craning it. You know what I'm saying? I'm about to... I, I won't do it afraid I'm, I'm old, too old, but I will tell you, when I w watched A Knight's Tale, maybe you haven't seen A Knight's Tale, but I watched A Knight's Tale with my youth group. This was way back in the day when it came out and it was in the theaters, and I took my youth group, and, and, and I came out, and I was convinced that I was the main character, so I put my fist out like this, and I was going to joust anybody who was ready, and so I started charging at these kids to try to kind of joust them. One of them moved. And there was a lady coming out of the theater that I jabbed in the neck. So I punched a woman in the neck trying to be the star of the story. She had a big boyfriend who tried to step up to me and like get in my face. But thank be to God that I was youth pastor for a bunch of ex-gang members and stuff like that. So they kind of, I said, hold me back. I'll punch your wife again. I'm gangsta, I'll punch, I'll. <laughs> Jousting, I apologized profusely, just so you know. I don't know why I told that story, but it just came to my mind. Oh, yeah, we want to be the star of the story. Um, and that helps us to, that, 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 that hinders us, if you will, when we're reading Scripture. If we're honest, when we read Scripture, we put ourselves as the David fighting the Goliath. We put ourselves as this hero of the story. When we see ourselves, even if we're reading the person of Christ and we see him healing, we go, I'm that. I'm going to do that. And we put ourselves as the savior role, the hero role. And it hinders us in reading scripture, especially the book of Jonah. Because we struggle with complicated characters. We love either ors. I'm either good or I'm either bad. I can't be both and. We struggle with complication. 
When we look at somebody, we want to put them in a category. Are they saved or are they unsaved? And even if God says, salvation belongs to me. Yeah, but I need to know. Are they saved or are they unsaved? I need clear lines and I need uncomplication. Just are they good or are they bad? And if you're looking for that in the book of Jonah, he's both and. Some moments he has very good moments and other moments he has really bad moments. Actually, more moments that are bad than good. One moment he's praying out in praise and worship. The next couple chapters later, you're going to read, he's not. He's praying, but it's not the kind of prayer that it was in chapter 2. The other thing you might struggle with if you read Jonah is we tend to need closure. We like happy endings. When we read something, we want to know, how did it end? I don't know. You're not going to get that today. We're getting to the end of the book. You're going to be looking for chapter 5. There's not one. You know what I'm saying? There's no chapter 5. It just seems like it ends with no closure, with no happy ending. And the reality of that is, if you struggle with these kinds of characters, if you struggle with these kinds of, I got to be the star, if you struggle for closure, Jonah's going to be a massive struggle for you. But there's a couple of things that could free us if we would really dive into a book, if we would say this boldly, if we would believe this, we are not the star of the story. We're not. I know, everybody's telling you, you're great, everybody's telling you, you can do anything you want, anything you set your mind to, you're strong enough, you're smart enough. You're not the star. I'm going to tell you, many people will ask, Pastor, why is the gospel so offensive to people? I don't understand. We just tell he's so loving, he's so gracious, he's so kind, he's so good. Why is it so offensive? Why when you say God loves you, is that an offensive thing? (laughs) And we struggle with the offense of it because the reality is the gospel good news declares this. It's not about you. That should free you up to stop thinking of yourself so much. It should free you up with thinking, I'm the center of the universe. That's freedom for some of us, and it's offensive for others. When we hear a message like this, it can become offensive because we live our lives with us at the center of the universe. And what the gospel does is removes us from the center of the universe and puts the only one who should be at the center. Jesus puts God right at the center of all things, the one who's holding it all together. The other good news is if you were honest, I know you're in church and so it's hard to be honest, but if you were honest and you took the masks off, you would understand what it means to be a really complicated character. (laughs) you are a complicated character. There's not many either-ors in your life. There's a lot of both-ands. Sometimes your prayer life sounds like chapter 2. Praise you, Jesus, for you have rescued me so much. I give my life to you. I swear I'm following you. I'll go where you tell me to go, Jesus. I promise. And at the end, I hate you. 
We're complicated. We could relate to Jonah more than we want to admit. And if we also really understood life, we would understand that life is this long journey and there's not much closure until we're with him. I know there are moments in your life that you wish it faded out and it was a happy ending, but then life goes on and a couple weeks later, you're hoping it doesn't fade out. Happy endings are fading out when you want people to stop watching. It doesn't mean it's over. Life is a journey of lifelong kind of repentance and turning back to the realities of who God is and seeing who he is. And in moments, we're on our knees thanking him, and in other moments, we're shaking our fists at him. You go, well, man, this is a crazy way because this is actually the only time in the Old Testament or in prophetic writing where they use this kind of narrative reality. Jonah's written as a story about a prophet. But Jonah also is reminiscent of the prodigal son story. If you will, Jesus used this same kind of storytelling when he would come and illustrate Israel's story. Which, remember, Jonah is a microcosm of Israel's story. Jesus used this same kind of storytelling about two sons. Now, one son ran off and took prodigal thing, you know, took all his possessions and did his thing and then came back. And then at the end, the other son is sitting outside of the party sulking. Remember that? Two sons, both missing the heart of the father. But in Jonah's story, Jonah is the one who ran and the one outside sulking. He's both characters. Jonah's the one who ran and came back and received grace. And then also the one sitting outside of the party where the father goes out to him and it fades out. Remember, Jesus fades out with no answers. Just leaves it open-ended. That's what's going to happen here. One returns, one stays outside, one repents, one doesn't. But in the story of Jonah, Jonah's both. Talk about complicated. So let's look at this together, Jonah chapter 4. And I want you to stay seated because I'm just going to highlight some things and kind of make some points. And, and here's the tension for me. I just, I just want, I feel as I preach scripture, I have to honor the intent of what is being said and done in the text. There's a... a, a a, pro, a hard thing for me is to leave things unresolved, right? I, I want to resolve it. And, and so as I'm preaching a text like this where there's a lot of things unresolved, the tension for me is trying to resolve something for you that I shouldn't resolve for you. So if you leave out of here with more questions, that's because Jonah did that, not me. And I'm not going to try to answer questions that the Father may want to try to answer for you. So I want you to follow this text along and just see, but Jonah, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong. Everything we've been studying, he looks at this, and to Jonah it seemed very wrong, and so what he did is he, become very, he became angry. And so here, remember, he, did, he wouldn't pray in the first chapter, the second chapter he prayed, the third chapter he prophesied, now he's praying again, but this prayer is going to sound very different, very different. So he prayed to the Lord, 
And here's what he says. Isn't this what I said when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. The God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life. Now, this is not surrender. It's better for me to die than to live. Now, here's something you have to learn about uh, the character of God that can be frustrating, especially in these times. You remember when the Pharisees would, would, question, uh, would question Jesus? He would use this same tactic. tactic. Instead of answering their questions, he would ask a question back. <laughs> Maybe cause a little more tension, right? The Lord replies, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you? I love this. This is such a good dad question. Let's talk about this. Is it right for you to be angry? And so Jonah goes off again. I had gone and sat, Jonah had gone out and sat down in the place of the east, and there he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and, and went to see what was going to happen to the city. He's sitting outside, finds a little place, makes a shelter, pulls up some popcorn. He's just watching Nineveh to see what will happen. Now look at this. I want you to follow this word provide. God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give him shade to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy. Here he is. He's happy now. He's angry. He's happy. It's complicated. But at the dawn of the next day, God provided a worm. This is a different kind of provision. God provided a worm which would chew the plant so that it would wither. And then a sun rose and God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head. Here's another thing he provided. And Jonah's head grew faint. Look at God's provision. And then he said, he wanted to die, and he said it would be better. Here's the same language. Remember, he used this. It would be better for me to die than to live. God asks a question, and then over the course of a couple days, provides these illustrations, if you will. And then God said to Jonah another question. Is it right that you're angry about the plant? I like this. I like this. This is so good. Is it right that you're angry about the plant? And he says, it is. Yes, it is. He answered, it is. And I'm so angry. I'm so angry. I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern? Now he's sharing his concern, the father's concern. Should I not have some concern for the great city Nineveh, which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and so many animals? He not only cares for the people, he cares for all of its creation. And that's it. 
That's how the book ends. No chapter five. Fade out. See you next week. That's it. No answers. All question marks. See, Jonah chapter 4 is complicated. It, it, it actually seems like it would have been a real cool place to fade out in chapter 3. <laughs> fade out on chapter 3. He goes in, everybody repents, and everybody's just fading out, and the music is swelling, and it's just, yay! Why did he have to put chapter 4? There's a couple of things I want you to think about. I want to ask you a question. Instead of asking Jonah a question, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, have you ever been thankful that God was a good father? Have you ever spent time thanking him for how good of a father he is? I, he came and rescued you. He came and delivered you. He was so kind to you. He provided something for you. Have you ever been thankful that God was a father? And if anybody has been his child for any amount of time, there are moments where you go, I am so thankful you're such a good, good, good dad. Have you ever been angry that he was a good dad? Have you ever been thankful for the very thing that made you angry? And, and here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say. I'm asking you a question, but I know the answer. I know that you have. I know that you have, and you're going, uh-oh, here it comes. I'm going to start calling names and everything, right? You're like, oh my goodness, is he, is he a prophet? I mean, this dude is all-knowing. What's going on? I mean, this dude's profound. How does he know? When he preaches, it just seems like he's talking straight to me. Does he know? Is he stalking me? What is going on? Now, maybe, maybe I am stalking you. Who knows? Maybe I am prophetic. Maybe it is deep. But no, it's none of these on this because I will just tell you this. It's me. I am that man. I am the one who's done both thanking and angry. And not only am I that man, I am your pastor. All right. And I've heard you in my office. I'm so angry. It's so hard. I'm so mad at God. He never does what I tell him to do. I'm not looking at anybody, I promise. <laughs> Many of you are like glancing away. Let's not lock eyes. I've seen you throwing fits, kicking on the floor, going crazy. I, I know because I am that man. I know because I am your pastor. And I know because scripture says this is common to all men. Paul says it in Romans why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why do I not do the things I want to do? This is complicated. Out of the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. Notice what he says to God. In the beginning of the chapter, he looks to God and goes, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. 
God, I knew it. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. That's why I didn't even want to go to Tarsus. And I tried to back out kindly and just say, you do your thing, God, and I'll do my thing. And I got on a boat, and I tried to just sneak away. But no, you had to come cause a storm and then get me thrown over, and then I'm in the bottom of a fish. And I knew it. I didn't want to even do it. You could have picked somebody else. But no, you had to get me, all because I knew what you were going to do. I knew it. And he says, after I knew it, he says, I know you. I knew you. I knew you. I knew your word. And he, he quotes Joel chapter 2. He uses scripture to quote against his, I knew you. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were slow to anger and abounding in mercy. I knew it. I knew it, and I knew you. I know you. You can't do anything opposite of kindness and compassion and relenting. I know you, God. I know your word. I've read the song. I've sang the songs. I know it. Can I tell you how many times I've said this and heard you saying this? When you hear scripture, how many times you go, I know, I know, pastor. I know. I know the word. I know, pastor, I know. I know what God says. I know. I've heard it a hundred times. I know. That's a problem. I know too much. I knew it, and I knew you, and then he turns around and, and just caps it all off, and I know better than you. I know better than you. My anger is right. I'm right in my anger. I know better. <laughs> now we can be angry. But what a book like Jonah does is messes with us. It messes with us. Because we love being the star of our own story. We hate things complicated and we love happy endings. But this allows nothing of the sorts, but it gives us a different kind of narrative. And it forces us to look for, well, who's the star of the story? Well, in the story of the prodigal son, you're like, well, who's the star? Is the prodigal the one who ran away and took everything from his father and comes back after he's having to eat with pigs? Is that the star? Or is it the guy sitting outside? No, the father is. In this complicated, twisted story with not many, the, Ninevans, the Ninevites aren't great. The sailors are crazy. Jonah's, his prophets, back and forth. The father, God, is the star of this story. Actually, his prayer in anger of Joel chapter 2 is a proclamation of the goodness of who the story is all about. If you're trying to be the star, what will offend you is that you're not. And he is. And he's a good father. What a story like this does when it leaves everything open-ended, the only thing you can find rest in is how good the father is. How good the prodigal son's father is. How good the father is not only of the prodigal son, but the self-righteous son. Isn't it amazing that the same God who went to the belly of the fish 
to deliver him out of the pit of Sheol is the same father that left the party or went outside of Nineveh to go meet his self-righteous son and try to talk him back into the party. What a good father. What a good father he is. The only hope in this is that we have a good father. Write these things down. Here's what you need to know about your father is he is gracious and compassionate. Please don't see this father God coming out to Jonah and going off on him because that's not what happened. Yes, Jonah was throwing a fit. Yes, Jonah. But this is a good, gracious, and compassionate father who is willing to go out and engage in a conversation. And isn't it amazing, not only does he do it with this compassionate heart, but this father is slow to anger. Did you hear Jonah say that? I knew you were slow to anger. And he actually shows how slow to anger he is by being very patient. He goes, hey, is it right for you to be angry? And then he goes, let's think about it for a couple days. And so today I'll provide a leaf to make you happy and comfortable. And I'll let you sit in your happiness. And then tomorrow I'll provide a worm that will eat that leaf. And then I'll provide a, he spends this process of patience of trying to show him who he is. He even shows patience to the self-righteous one who's outside and goes outside of the party to go, no, not only do I care about the prodigal, I care about the self-righteous. And he's slow to anger. He's a good father who's a good communicator. Isn't it amazing that he just doesn't say, I told you! I love this. I love this because this is what I do. I go, I've already told you a hundred times, son. Do I have to say it again? You see God saying it again. You see him looking at his child and saying, hey, let me illustrate it for you in another way now. Let me send a leaf. Let me send a worm. Let me send a sun. Let me send a scorching... Let me send a bunch of, let me illustrate. God is such a good communicator that he, he, he speaks to his children. And, and, and how do we know? I hear so many people, how do I know if it's God speaking to me? Because you're not a good listener. It's good you have a good communicator who knows how to speak to his children. We wrestle so much on whether we're hearing God's voice that we're actually doubting his ability to make himself known to you. It has nothing to do with you figuring out, is it God? It has everything to do of God revealing himself and his father heart. And he'll illustrate it in so many ways to continue to show you his kindness. How many times has the good father not said to you, I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it 101. I'll say it 102. I'll continue to say it over and over again because he's such a good communicator and he'll use different means. Isn't it amazing that he's not only a good communicator, he's a good provider of our needs. This is going to be the hard one for you. We want to serve a God who provides our wants. But we don't want a father who provides our needs. Here's what I mean. God provided a leaf that made him happy. 
God provided a worm that made him angry. And a sun that irritated him. And a scorching wind that would bother him. And he provided a storm and a whale or a fish. He provided a word. He provided all these things. He provided sailors. He provided. God continued to provide what Jonah needed. Our God provides all our needs according to his riches and glory. And here's the hard thing for us to swallow. Sometimes we don't need comfort. Sometimes we don't need a leaf. We need the comforts to be eaten up and destroyed so that it leaves us in a place of complete desperation. Sometimes the good father who provided the leaf takes the leaf away. When he created the earth, he created us naked and unashamed. When we sinned, he provided Adam and Eve with leaves to cover themselves. God always provides a covering. He always provides our needs. But he also before him makes us stand completely exposed because he's a good father. And you may be in a time in your life where you're wondering, God, how do I know this is from me? And you're wrestling because you're like, everything that was good, you've stripped it away from me, God. Why would you take all of these good things away? Because I'm a good dad. And here's what the good father wants. The good father wants to share his heart with you. Isn't it amazing that what we spend all of our time concerned about is our own comfort? Just like Jonah, I mean, right? He goes, why are you concerned about a plant? Because it was the thing that was giving him comfort. Why are you concerned about a plant? You didn't even grow it. You didn't even kill it. It all came from me. You're concerned about a plant. Now let me, as your father, I want to share with you my concern for the world. And he begins to share, just like he does with the self-righteous son. Come back. The son who was lost is now home. What the father wants for, from us is that we would share his heart and have his concern for all of his creation and his world. He's such a good father that he doesn't just want us, he doesn't just want us to know him, he wants us to have his heart and to share his heart with him. Church, this is complicated. But if you could take this book of Jonah and just go, man, this story is not even about Jonah. It's actually about the heart of God for a city. And he shares his concern for a great city, people who are confused and lost, hundreds of thousands of people that are lost and dying, and he wants his children to share in the same concern that he has for his whole of his creation. This story is about the heart of God. This is where I struggle. I, I struggled to figure out, how do I end this sermon? 
when the book doesn't even end with a good closing. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> How do I bring closure to a sermon with no closure? How do I do that? And this is what the Lord told me to do, so I'm going to do it. I don't understand it, but I'm going to do it. He told me to just sing about how good of a father he is and that he would deal with his children. And that if you, with me, would sing about the goodness of your father, he'll start helping you work through some things that, you're complicate, that are complicated. And that some of us need to stop focusing on ourselves and who we are and we need to lift up our eyes and see who he is. So this is a, an act of trust for me because I do feel like the tension of this helps us to turn to him and to sing. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. To who I am, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who I am. It's who I am. Come on, will you sing with me? Sing, you're a good good father look at him look at how good he is and I'm loved by you oh yes it's who I am as you come to the table and pray and worship Wayne and I, anybody else, if you need prayer, we'll be there. If you want somebody to pray with you, the tables are open. I want you to come and fellowship and pray. I believe the Father is going to work his children through and patiently guide you and lead you. Come, come to the altar, come to the table, come and worship and let him speak to you. The tables are open. Let's fellowship and pray together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.